You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp and I'm just interrupting you as you listen to whatever it is that you actually want to listen to to tell you about the second series of Middle Please Umpire. Middle Please Umpire is a podcast that I, Miles Jupp, if you weren't concentrating when I first introduced myself only moments ago, that's not a criticism, your thoughts are your own and you must focus them wheresoever you yourself choose, host with Mark Wood, the 95 mile an hour bowling, England playing, World Cup winning, Northumberland hailing cricket lunatic Mark Wood. It's another series of episodes of the two of us talking about cricket and indeed any other stuff that springs to mind, both with each other and also with a succession of frankly illustrious guests. We lift the lid on Mark's life as an international sportsman, basically he spends a lot of time icing himself, and take you on a whistle-stop journey through the windmills of his mind. I, a mere fan, listen agog, giggle excitedly and try and draw comparisons with my own rather more mundane existence. All episodes of Middle Please Umpire are available right now from your favourite podcast providers. And welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans and it's a victorious Stop Hammer Time uh, again this week after last week's unusual Stop Hammer Time where we had lost two games in a row. We've back to winning ways and uh, furthermore, the first four games of our uh, eight-game run-in that we've decided is the length of this run-in uh, to the end of the season now looks more um, healthy with two wins and two losses. But, uh, uh, you know, six points from four games, it's all right. And uh, we'll see where we go from here. To discuss this with me are as always, Jim Grant. Good evening. Hello, Jim. Hi. Yep. There's good. that kind of sparkling banter that keeps people coming back for, for more. Yeah. 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 It's this, uh, the bants. The bants are why people uh, turn it. It's like a Arsenal fan, uh, whatever that thing's called. Oh, also with me are uh, yeah. our very good friend, very good friend of the podcast. And in fact, myself and Jim and him watched the game together last night. Uh, it is, of course, Gary Killington. Evening all. Hello, Gary. You have a fine uh, Zoom uh, background behind you. I do. That's a, Unless I'm, you are actually I, floating I, above the River Thames like a drone. I am. I'm in my penthouse. It's a very high penthouse. Yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, also joining us this week, it is a very good friend of the podcast, the greatest legal mind in the country. 
and also uh, original creator of the only blog in the history of blogging to combine the twin subjects of Wagner and West Ham United uh, in the blog, Donna the Hammer. It is, of course, Russell Raphael. Evening all. Russell, you, uh, you've moved on from uh, Wagner in your obsessions to James Joyce's Ulysses, I believe you said. I have, yes. Yeah, quite uh, enjoyable. That's a long read, isn't it? That's a, like a thousand pager, isn't it? Well, we're about a year in so far and we're, uh, yeah, yeah, 600 pages, depending on the edition. Right. Um, yeah. Depending on the, the, answers, the, the answers are all there. I mean, if you, you know, you just need to look carefully enough. I think he, I can't quite remember which episode is, is it. Is it a whodunit? My plan's running, but sorry. Is it a whodunit then? It is a whodunit. Well, he, you know, he considers the running and, um, you know, analyses games. I mean, much of my contribution this evening would have been because I've just brushed up on the latest chapter. He covers most subjects. Mm. Well, that's uh, um, is it? Are there other ones that are easier to? We've talked about this, haven't we? Are there other ones that we are have. a bit easier to read? Joyce, um, Jim, have you? Milligan's Wake is a lot harder. You can start yeah, with that, Dubliners. That's better. Dubliners is good. Portrait of the Artist is good. I, I've read Ulysses twice. Bloody hell. Um, but uh, Finnegan's Way defeated me. And I, I once went to a seminar, uh, quite a kind of, it was sort of an international seminar while I was still an undergraduate uh, and uh, on Finnegan's Wake. And there were all these kind of sort of uh, people, academics from, from various universities across the world. And we're sitting around and I hadn't read it. And um, I had intended to read it before the seminar, but uh, it just defeated me. And I looked around and I just, well, it was one of those things where you, you just looked at those people and thought, you fuckers haven't read this book. You, you, nobody's. Yeah. You haven't read it. No, no one's it's unreadable. Read it. it is. It's yeah, unreadable. No yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So we uh, we played last night and uh, we won. Uh, and um, yeah, it was good. Uh, Could have won by more. In fact, we, you know, I think this possibly made things a little bit more tense for ourselves by not perhaps getting a third goal, despite the fact that we seem, you know, we were good for a third goal easily, if not a fourth goal, I thought. Um, yeah, what do we make of it, Gary? Oh, I thought it was an absolutely superb performance. I think it's one of those, uh, several times this season, I, I, I've, I've felt like we've peaked. I felt like we've hit the, you know, we've really sort of nudged the bar and you don't expect any more. And then suddenly we're ravaged by injuries. We put out a makeshift team and we produce an absolutely amazing performance like that. And the football was just sublime. It was well, I talk of makeshift team, you know, when, when we saw the team selection, you know, we were all kind of chatting on WhatsApp before we watched it together on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, I just thought, fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> all the attacking players <laughs> out on the pitch. It's like anyone that had any sort of doubts about whether uh, Moyes played uh, progressive football or attacking football. That team's selection couldn't have put anyone in any doubt. Russell, what did you make of it? I was so impressed. Um, I think I was, we thought five games left and people talking about these are five cup finals. And so you expected blood and guts and uh, just effort and the result was all important. It didn't really matter how we got it. But they were just so composed and played just such nice football and playing through the lines. And, you know, it was, uh, well, let's say, you know, take Barnsley, it's like watching Barcelona. But it wasn't, you know, and and players that we thought we might have seen the last of, really, or certainly his best passing, Lanzini. I thought it was a revelation. Mm. Yeah, it was was 
There was, was a calmness on the ball in the circumstances where it could yeah. have so easily blown up in our face. I'm really impressed. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, you know, you can see in a way why uh, that hadn't necessarily occurred to Moyes to put him there. But I think something we've always said, because obviously this is something that came up a lot in the Allardyce era, is that to to keep the ball, to keep hold of the ball, you don't have to necessarily be big or strong. Joe Cole would be a magnet for him, enormous, you know, Vieira-type midfielders or, or um, you know, Keown-type defenders. Four of them would gather around him and he would wriggle out with the ball at his feet. You know, if you have good close control... You don't have to be a giant, so the you know, off whom opposing players bounce. Uh, and, um, you know, yeah, Lanzini's sort of composure on the ball, receiving the ball uh, back to their goal or facing their goal didn't make any difference because he can turn quickly. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a great. Selection. It's like Declan Rice. Uh, I was watching Declan Rice afterwards. He popped up on a, uh, a YouTube channel. He just appeared and uh, uh, said a couple of words about, um, and he picked a man in the match and he picked Manuel Lanzini. He said he was absolutely superb, brilliant. Uh, he's kind of made that position his own in brackets and said, I'll come back mm-hmm. next week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, he was, uh, the simple point was, he said, um, he's like that in training every day. He said he yeah. can do that. He's just got so much talent, so much composure. Just a, a, someone called him a beautiful footballer. And I think when he's on song, he absolutely is. He makes it look easy, doesn't he? I think that's right. And I, I think it's another, whether or not he stumbled on it or or, or whatever, because I was looking at that lineup and thinking, well, he'll slot for not four nails into the, the centre. Um, uh, but of course, it was Lanzini who played there. And it's another case of Moyes kind of reinventing a footballer in a game, you know, um, in one game. Um, you know, Lanzini, we've been we've been frustrated with Lanzini in, in his sort of moments coming back since his injury, um, his big injury, because he has lost that little extra yard of pace on receiving the ball. So he, he struggles to play that kind of number 10 role that, that used to be his great strength. But there's a career for him as a as a as a more deep lying playmaking central midfielder. I mean, he, he had a pass completion of 95% last night. Didn't put a foot wrong. Just kept the. It was it, we. we um, I thought we played like a big club last night. I, yeah. I, I think the confidence is baked in now. And I would say, even though we lost to Chelsea, I think we mentioned this on the podcast. We still kept the ball for long periods of time. We, even when we had ten men, we we had the ball. We weren't backs to the wall against Chelsea trying to hit them on the break. We we got on the front foot and we kept the ball and we played. We didn't break them down. They, they, their defence is a lot better than Burnley's. Um, and if you had one kind of you know ultra picky thing, as you've already sort of mentioned it, Phil, is is, is we should have won that comfortably. We should have won that five, you know, um, and we didn't. And and that has been a slight problem throughout the season is, is is putting chances away when we get into good position, which is why our goal difference is plus 11 and not plus 20 like Leicester's. Yeah. Um, and might cost us in the end. We, um, I mean, you know, there's a fabulous moment when uh, they got their penalty and scored and it was like we sort of went... Oh yeah, we've forgotten to play, and we just moved up a gear effortlessly and scored mm. in a minute, and then within about another nine minutes, it was like they just they went into a mode when Burnley got after Burnley got their penalty that you know was definitely a sort of step up from the the early minutes of the game, um, and 
you know, then define their style for the rest of the game, you know. I was I was just quite happy to be right for a change. And before then I was on a I was on a, a forum and we were talking about the lineup and I loved the lineup. I thought it was amazing. Uh, most people, most same-minded people did, uh people who love football. But a couple of negative comments popped up and said, looks a bit weak defensively. And I was just looking at the lineup and I was thinking, Good luck, Burnley, because there's so many moving parts in that team. You ain't gonna have a clue who to pick up. And and that's how it how it panned out with those four players, uh, Lingard, Ben Rama, Fornells, and Lanzini, uh, playing that they're, they're all on the same kind of wavelength. And I think they really complemented playing among you know, with each other. Sometimes yeah. they look Ben Rama, for instance, sometimes looks looks like a fish out of water because he's got nobody's on the same wavelength as him. I think he thoroughly enjoyed himself last night. Yeah, it was terrific. First half, he was terrific. He faded a bit, um, but yeah. but it was absolutely mustard in that in that first half. And I thought we were also the reason why I think I'm you know I say we could have played like a big like a big club um, is is we were great without the ball as well. You know we pre you know we, when we lost the ball we pressed we worked in hunted in packs. I mean the time and time again, Fornells turned the ball over and intercepted one or got yeah. put a foot in and whatever. Yeah, he was. We, we, we rightly praised Lanzini, but for me, Fornals was man. I thought he was magnificent. He had an extraordinary game, I thought. I mean, it, you know, he looked like he looked like Kante or someone like that. He looked yeah, like a player yeah. from, he looked like a player from a kind of top club. You know, as as uh, you said, Jim, we we sort of looked like a kind of um, really top flight unit last night. Uh, even though it's a kind of makeshift team, that's the thing about good players is they they find each other and know how to work with each other. You know, on an almost you know te- telepathic level. If especially if you know, like Jesse Lingard, they've played with other good footballers in their time. You know, Lanzini and Arnautovic struck up a kind of uh, you know rapport as soon as they were sort of smudged together by Moyes in a desperate attempt to find some kind of team that would undo uh, the catastrophe before he arrived. And uh, they just found each other straight away. That demolition of Huddersfield was terrific. And um, that's what, what we had last noticed, night, a kind of team of... Um, sorry, Paul, what was noticeable to me about Fournells last night was that he was... He was trying flicks and tricks, not um, for the sake of it, but when necessary. And they were coming off. But this was a guy that had clearly been, you know, you you think that someone like a manager like Moyes would come down on that like a ton of bricks. But he'd clearly been told and said, look, you know, if you need to, you do it. They played a lot like they they would play in training with little one-tap stuff. And um, they had a freedom of expression and were expressing themselves. It was just, it was great to watch. I mean, I suppose that, you know, was was Diop a weakness uh, at the back even before the penalty? We'd been, he'd been exposed yeah. a couple of times. Um, I think for the actual penalty itself, I'm not sure how much I can criticise him. I'd rather give lots of praise to Chris Woods because the ball, I think Diop was almost entitled to think that ball was going out or he'd gone into a position where nothing's going to come of it from there. And I think sometimes you've just got to say the striker did really well. Yeah. I think it was, you know, sometimes the flight of the ball is difficult to judge. You know, sometimes when a, when a corner or a free, free kick is, is swung into that sort of danger area between the players and the keeper, um, you can't tell what it's going to do in its last yard or two. And I think that that, you know, there's there's that thing they say, don't they, uh, to sort of central defenders is don't let it bounce. Yeah. And um, 
So sort of trying to get your body into the right position to sort of head it when it's coming directly from above you. Sometimes the, it's yeah. difficult to judge the flight of the ball and it goes over your head. I mean, I think, you know, Diop saw it. Uh, he was sort of getting in the position for it. And then it just sort of, you know, gained that piece of speed and went one or two yards further on and Woods was onto it because Woods is running in the right direction. He definitely it, made a couple of mistakes uh, yeah. in the, in, in, early on in the game, probably the first 10 minutes. But again, uh, watching it back and reading the comments afterwards, I, I, I think you, you, and, uh, and obviously remembering the second half, he didn't put a foot wrong in the second half, he, and he and he was really, really dominant in the air as well. He was, and that was really important. But I think as well, let's forgive him a little bit for because sometimes I think if you if you lose it early on in a game, like first ten minutes, your head can drop. His head didn't drop. He, he, he you know, he, he kept his head up and he improved as the game went on. So it shows a little bit of strength of character. I think he deserves a, a bit of praise for that. And I think he was playing on his unnatural side as well. He was playing on the left side of defence. Mm. Yeah. I like him. I like uh, I like that he brings the ball out. I like that he's, I like that he's really comfortable um, operating near the centre circle if there's no need for him to be practically standing in front of our goalkeeper. You know, I like that. Um, someone who was like that is James Tompkins, uh, you know, sort of felt no need to stand in our six-yard box if the action's taking place, you know, in the other team's half. And, you know, hopefully then you've got the pace to get back or your defensive partner is going to sort of stay in a slightly more withdrawn position. Um you know, I like him. I like that. You know, and he's well, young. I'd like to see some improvement in the his, the length and direction of his heading. I think compared to um, compared to uh, even uh, Suchek and Dawson and Ogbonna, they get they get when they head it out, it goes out quite quite often with the opic glances, or he heads it down when he should be getting a bit more distance on it. I think there's. I- I agree. I, I think that's why we noticed that, didn't we, when he first came? Yeah, uh, and I think he did put a foot wrong in the second half because there was a terrible defensive header that led to Burnley's um, sort of big chance, really. Uh, oh, just okay. kind of from around about the six-yard ball, he just kind of flopped it to a Burnley player. I mean, having said that, I broadly agree with what with, with what you say, Phil. I, th- I think he's still learning his trade as a, as a, as a top-level centre. He's still young. Um, and there's a lot of positives to him, you know, and, and his pace is useful. Um, he's reasonably comfortable on the ball. He's getting better in the air, definitely. Um, and, and he's timing his interceptions and challenges. As, uh, of, of in, his timing has always been good. You know, his last ditch tackling, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. You know, he's got a lot of positives as a defender, I think. Um, still got a bit of an error in him, but I mean, you know, he's young. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Mikhail Antonio came back and, oh, um, great. you know, saw a little bit of the old Antonio and there were a couple of, uh, you know, the time when he couldn't sort his feet out and there were a couple of sort of errant shots and stuff. But um, luckily he got enough chances to convert a couple and um, Randall's game was a huge handful. Yeah, he was fantastic. He's so nice as well. I loved his post-match uh, interview. Um, there was a point where he, said, he was talking about the number of chances he had and the fact he wanted to get his hat trick. And he, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. um, and he made a joke about the one he messed up with trying to get on his left foot for a perfect hat trick. And and um, but then he said, um, he said, uh, oh, but I've got two goals and I mustn't be greedy. And I thought, no, Antonio, that's exactly this. You can be greedy. 
that's one thing that you're you know that's one situation in which you are allowed to be gre- greed is good when you're a centre forward that's okay but have you know be greedy uh, he's just so nice. He was, um, he, was amaz- he was amazing. He was back, you know, to, he's been injured for a couple of games and to come back and play 90 minutes like that and put in that kind of performance. Terrific. I did, I did worry for his hamstrings, especially when he went on that long sprint yeah. at the end because that's that's just prime real estate for him breaking down. Uh, he also said in that post-match interview um, about the, um, oh, God, about the celebrations, the goal celebrations. Oh, yeah. He said, he does, he said well, they said, why have you stopped doing them? He said, I just, don't, I just can't do them anymore because there's a risk that I'm going to do a flamboyant celebration and then VAR's going to rule the goal out and yeah. I'm going to look like a right mug. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, talking of, uh, talking of um, sorry, Russell, what was that? Oh, so the fun has uh, been squeezed out again. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. We're, we're talking about kind of officiating. Um, you know, I, I, I'm i just going to say it as a matter of record was that I thought that penalty was incredibly soft. And, and, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, don't be stupid, it was a penalty. But I just think that, like, you know, what I find frustrating, and, you know, I say this again and again, is that when two players go for the same ball and one of them falls over, there doesn't actually have to be blame. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I thought that um, Woods was stretching for that ball. They were both stretching for it. It's like Woods didn't have the ball under control by any means. It was like he had to stretch to get it. And that's what Suchek was doing at the same time. Uh, it's arguable that that, that um, the contact with, with Suchek made him fall over. Uh, but he was sort of flying through the air in the same way that Suchek was. They were both going for a ball that had bounced away from them. And I just... I think you'll make a fine defence lawyer, Phil. Yeah, I, I think it was a pen. Uh, I think I think it would, he got to the... But the crucial thing is he did get to the ball. Yes, and um, you know, and and Sujek's momentum wasn't a, it wasn't a you know a deliberate foul, but he, his momentum took him into him and 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 you know took it knocked him over. I mean, uh, yeah, I think you're right in the sense that it, it, those occasionally don't get given, mm. um, uh, but um, uh, yeah, I think I you know I, I, I think, I think is, it was. You know, we talked about this on the podcast once before when Sam was on. There was just there are too many penalties now in the game. I don't know what the statistics are about the number of penalties in a season in the last few years. Those statistics probably do exist somewhere on the internet, but it feels like you know I watch all my football on match of the day basically, so I see highlights of games. It feels like nearly every game has a penalty in it. Yeah, I, I, I personally yeah, thought, thought the penalty was soft. I thought it was soft. I thought yeah. it, and, and and also I think the prime reason it was given obviously because the referee gave it straight off and I think VAR or the referee I mean they're both basically confirming each other's errors at the moment um I think it had the referee not given it and left it to VAR I think it might not have been a penalty Mm. because I think it was touch and go I don't think it was I think they'd have told him to go over to the monitor and look at it I reckon yeah Yeah. well I I think it was a foul I mean we don't need we don't need to concern ourselves with blame it's not that he's a bad bloke for doing it, but it was a no, fact. When I use the word brain, I don't literally um, mean moral or emotional. The forward got there first. Uh, Suchek caught him with some part of his body, and he was going to get. He didn't. He didn't go down hoping to get the penalty. He went down because he'd been clattered by another player who innocently, in an innocent attempt to get the ball, 
got the man only by a scintilla of a second late. But that was it. And if it, you know, if it had been against us, we'd have wanted the penalty. If it had been anywhere else on the field, you'd have expected the free kick. And um, you know, may, soft maybe, but I think it was a penalty. Yeah, well, I'm, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm genuinely not sure I would be sort of screaming for a penalty because that because I do have a basic objection to the amount of penalties that are given and how easily they're given because they fuck games. They send a penalty or a sending off sends a game down the toilet, you know. And um, yeah, but there was no element of Chris Woods thinking, "Oh, I've been touched, I'm going down." Like Salah, you know, when Masuaku no, it wasn't that. caught it the end of his toe. It was, uh, you know, they both went for the ball. One got there first, the yeah. other one. So that's that, and you know, it's, them's the rules, I fear. Yeah, but I, I wonder whether the I wonder whether the rules are right. You know, I mean, because things have changed over the years. You know, what one thing I find frustrating is when um, a goalkeeper dives out and a kind of advancing player goes over the goalkeeper's prone body because Bob Wilson's way of collecting a ball, the now famous Wilson roll, was that probably sent lots of strikers tumbling Peter Osgood and you know Jimmy Greaves sent them tumbling to the ground uh, I mean you know would the referee would Bob Wilson be able to even do that now you know it's like well, you must be older than me <laughs> yes but yeah strikers started leaving their leg in when a keeper come out right it's an easy penalty to win and you win it every time right that's that even if you've pushed the ball and the ball's going out of play, as long as you leave you leave your leg in and you get a touch from the keeper, it's a stonewall penalty every time. Yeah. But yeah, there's a, there's a, there is a lot of cheating that goes on. I don't think Chris would cheat yesterday by any stretch no, of the No, not at all. I just think it was I just think it was just a bit soft. I've seen I've seen them given and not given before. You know, yeah. it's a, it's a 50 It's against West Ham. I think if Man United do that, there's no penalty. That's not happening. But, but that's what I mean. I, I think, you know, it feels like increasingly you see um incidents like the Balbuena one last week, where, you know, I mean the pundits on Match of the Day said what I think all of us said was that not only is it not ascending off, yeah. it's not even a booking, it's not even a foul. No, no, that no. wasn't. I mean, no, I, agree. I totally agree. Foul. I don't yeah, think... So, I mean, the, the, the degree of idiocy in that decision, and, and, and this is what I mean, is that, that, you know, there can be a coming together of two footballers and one of them as a result of that, loses their footing and falls to the ground. But it doesn't mean that the other footballer's done anything bad, you know. And um, what's happening increasingly, I think it's sort of because they they don't quite know how to police a kind of drop ball. If, you know, if someone does go over, and obviously because of the fact that they now feign injury, so the game stops. But that, but that Balbuena sending off, and also, you know, the, the Suchek sending off earlier in the season, they're, they're, they're very similar in that, um, well, that one last week especially, was it was not given by the referee. The referee ignored it. And the VAR referee in Stockley Park yeah. has, has said, you know, you should go and have a look at this. And I think he's all the referees being asked to do is to confirm whether or not the VAR referee has made a clear and obvious error. Right. Mm. And then, and he goes and he checks and he, and he confirms what the VAR ref has seen and there isn't a clear and obvious error. So he has to send him off. And I think that works vice versa as well. If the referee on the pitch gives it and he sees yeah. something, VAR confirm that he's seen it no matter the context. And they're just they're just confirming each other's bias, I think. 
Yeah, I agree. There's some reverse psychology when the ref is sent over to look at the camera. He's already thinking, oh, one of of my colleagues thinks I ought to look at this again. They must be disagreeing with me, you know, so the writing's on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. And I, but yeah. how could you? I don't understand. I mean, I think the, the two instances are very, very different. I mean, I, I think I don't understand how Kavanagh or whatever his name was, the referee, could actually go and look at what everyone else is looking at yeah. and going, "Well, he's just he's just happens to have made contact with the guy having kicked the ball." Yeah. Um, how you can see that and and see that as serious foul play is, is beyond me. He should be stopped from. He's not competent to referee yeah. if that's his interpretation of that incident having looked at it carefully, then he's he doesn't understand the laws of the game and he should be suspended from 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 he should be suspended, you know, and until yeah. he's gone on a training course and gets those decisions. Yeah. They should be showing them that kind of thing as part of their training and they should be getting them right, not Agreed. wrong. It's it's part of its kind of institutional idiocy of the people that run football that's created this situation in the first place, because it's it's like another sort of um, piece of populism is that sort of uh, we understand the fans. We understand you all hate the referee. You all sing those songs about um, his onanism and his short sightedness. We we hear you. We hear you. So we're going to get machines to sort of do it instead of the referee. What they should be saying is fuck you, we're going to give the referee more responsibility now, you know, yeah. like they do with rugby referees who uh, you can hear them speaking to the players, you, that, you know, they police the game in real time, you know the decisions they're making, they can tell moaning footballers to shut up, you know, you yeah. would never see that still, you know, that sort of quite now iconic still photo of Roy Keane and Yap Stam and Rio possibly surrounding that referee like fucking bullies in a playground you yeah. know yeah. Um, extraordinary. I mean that shouldn't yeah. those guys should have been sent off that photo should have been taken to some tribunal and those yeah. players should have been banned for like well, yeah, well so absolutely they should you know that, that, that it's against the laws of the game they are, they're, they're using foul and abusive language towards the referee that is a sending off offence yeah um, but I think just going back briefly to what Gary said about if it had been Man United I mean I think that that big club bias is still there yeah. Um, I, I think it's been slightly mitigated by not having crowds in the stadium, but um, uh, it, it's still the case that those kind of 50-50 decisions still tend to go the way of the big clubs. And I remember occasionally when like, a player, one of those comes to play, I, I don't know if you remember, um, one of Sabaleta's first appearances for us was an away game at, the, at, the, at Southampton. And uh, he just kind of ran it. He did his usual thing that he would do for Man City and always get away with it, just quietly shove shove a, a defender over. And, of course, his, his look of astonishment when it was blown up for a penalty because he just wasn't used to that happening. Yeah, but um, you, you look at earlier in the season, Liverpool seemed to get a penalty every week. West Ham went, what was it, three quarters of a season without yes. getting a penalty. It just went, right. it went on forever. I, I, I just wonder, I wonder, you know, you had the ESL thing the other week where all the fans joined forces and they came out and it was like unanimous opposition to the ESL and fans on the streets and everything else and they reversed. They slammed it in reverse and got out of that pretty sharpish. What if you brought all fans together to do the same thing about VAR? Would they get rid of VAR? Yeah, I mean, we sort of touched on this last week. Is that I mean, it it, it should 
sort of be registered by the powers that be that all the pundits on every single programme now openly mock or pour scorn on VAR. That should surely just register with them, you know, because these people have played football and know the game, you know, not very well in the case of some of them. But, you know, uh, Jermaine Genius has got a right to say what he thinks. And, um, you know, they're just, you know, Gary Lineker, they're just openly hostile to it now. Yeah. And um, um, Are they, I think they're openly hostile to it as it is. I don't think they're necessarily openly hostile to the principle of using technology to help no, resolve no, no. bad decisions. And I think that's that would be the issue with, with campaigning. Because I think some people just want it gone completely. I think there are fans who, and I think I'd include myself in that number, who in principle are not against the idea if it is simply used to eliminate the really terrible errors, like, you know, Ireland not qualifying for a, a World Cup or a bridge because because, you know, um, Henri handles the ball back. You know, those kinds of things, you know, those kind of really gross miscarriages of justice is what you want to see swept out of the game. You don't, you know... But they've got got, got, always got toys, aren't they, with their technology? Sorry, Russell. Yeah, I, I, I just returning to last night, I thought Anthony Taylor did pretty well. He was letting quite a lot go. He was, on a few occasions, he was indicating to players to get back up off the ground. They shouldn't be looking for a free kick there. And uh, there was, I don't know if the commentator mentioned it or I saw somewhere, this, this bizarre stat that other than the penalty, it took until about the 40th minute for a free kick to be awarded either way. I yeah. saw that somewhere and I'm now I'm doubting it can't possibly have been <laughs> but um but someone someone somewhere said it and so um I'm saying it now and so it was a it was a free flowing game and the rest got to take some credit um, yeah definitely yeah definitely I thought we did um, a decent job as well as you know post-match interviews and stuff and uh, um you know Moyes is uh, one thing I've I've always thought about Moyes is that he's very good at um and I think it makes you popular. It makes you a good. It makes you good with the media in the way that Pardew was good with the media. Uh, Moyes is good with the media in that he says things that really are clearly true, and fans go, "Yeah, I noticed that." It really he sort of makes things quite clear for the for the everyman. You know, when he both times he's come into the team uh, post Billich and post Pellegrini, he's pointed out stuff that fans have been seeing go wrong under those two managers and has alerted and has sort of encouraged the fans that, yes, I see this problem. Whereas, you know, the people he took over from didn't do that. And similarly, you know, um, he articulated that idea of, you know, that Lanzini had quite a bad injury, which which takes away his ability to do certain things well, and mm. that perhaps this role is a good role for him. And, uh, um, you know, you could argue that he's sort of somehow back justifying that, but in a way he probably is. You don't have a crystal ball when you pick a team. You know, you pick a team, sends out, and if it works well, you know... You could put your hands up and go, I'm actually dreadful. It was all luck that made that work. But, you know, if you're an experienced manager, you'll probably... 
Yeah, and I, I mean, again, people saying the team picked itself by default. I don't think it did. It, you know, there were there were other options. He could have paid people in different positions. That's the team he chose. And I think, Russell, you mentioned it earlier about Arnautovic and people like that. He's converted players. He's got them to play really well in, in different positions. He's done the same with Antonio. I think he's, he's had pretty regular luck if you want to call it luck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it, it's happening too often for it to be luck, isn't yeah. it? It's what yeah. it is, is good management. And we're, you know, we're not used to seeing it. it, it yeah. I, I mean, I think it's this, among all the many wonderful things about this season, the, the revelation of what it is to support a football club that is properly managed mm. is uh, something, you realise how little you've seen of it over your lifetime of being a West Ham fan. Mm. He actually bloody well knows what he's doing <laughs> and uh, a lot of the thing not everything he tries comes off because it's not going to is it and you know other teams are good um, but you know that this this track record he's got of, 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 of fitting what we think are square pegs into round holes and it turns out that they're round pegs after all yeah. uh, is yeah. amazing I think yeah, yeah that was what so so surprised me last night you know it, I, I thought we were going to go down to a third defeat in a row but this realization that actually not only are we a decent team with decent players we are properly managed and they are confident they know their jobs and they and we've just turned into a decent football team and we might yet mess it up but uh, most people would say we should we should beat all four teams that we have yet to play because whether it's spirit, tactics, togetherness, whatever, um, talent, we're better than each of those four teams. Yeah. But and he, I never thought I'd be saying that about West Ham. Even if we don't, even if we lose one of those games, you know, I mean, part of the reason you, use, you lose football matches is that's what football's like. You know, Manchester City got yeah. by Leeds a couple of weeks ago. Our defeat to Newcastle was we gave them two of their goals, literally gave them two of those goals. And, um, you know, uh, we very nearly came back, uh, you know, um, uh, and with 10 men for, for an hour of the game. And uh, that's yeah. not the sign of a bad team. It's the sign of a good team. <laughs> You can gift the other. It can team. happen. West Brom can beat Chelsea, but we would. We are now going into those games expecting to do to do well because we are a decent team. Even though it might yeah. not work yeah. out, we you know the bookies will have us as favourites probably in every single one of those games. Yeah, and that um, shows how far we've come. There was a piece yeah. of footage uh, that was sort of snipped out of the game, which was the move that ended up with uh, Ben Rama's kind of bent shot that just yeah, out the post. And the move was like a back to front tick attack. Yeah, it, it wasn't brilliant. It wasn't a long ball up to anyone. It was a, a great piece of play. And and you know, uh Ben Rama I thought was um was really terrific. And I think this thing of him, you know, not scoring goal and he needs a goal. He probably does, but um if you look at the games he plays in, we quite often win those games. And yeah. You know, if you start kind of going, oh, that was a really good game and we won that game, but this guy wasn't very good, this guy wasn't very good, this guy wasn't very good, you're starting to go, no, you don't win games of football with just eight men playing. Everyone played their part in an 11-man victory over another team. You know, no one's there sort of sabotaging the team. Of course, Ben Rumble was playing um, Starving Hungry for the first match. Yeah. The sun went down. You know. Yeah. Right. 
he started. Uh, you can't escape these stats on Twitter because there are a lot of massive Ben Rama fans out there. And apparently, he started fifteen games, and with one eleven drawn, three lost, one. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, when he came, when he came on for possibly his debut and almost his first action of the game was a tiny yard and a half pass to Suchek to put it in the net. That that pass needed to be made. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, his his assists are very good. He's he spots a, you know, he spots a kind of ball, and he's got the he's got the talent to weight the pass perfectly, which is what you know you need for assists, don't you? It's like that, that, that was a ridiculous ball we played in that cross last night, wasn't yeah. it? I think it was going in without the Antonio touch. It I mean, might have been, yeah, it might have been creeping in, yeah, yeah, yeah undefendable. I think there's a lot to come from him and he's really exciting and he's the kind of player you, you you want in your team, the kind of player everyone loves, someone who drops a shoulder and runs past another player. He's got he's a, a right bag of tricks, but I think it's just taking him time to settle. And I, and I, I agree. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Neil Ruddock um, used to blame uh, Ramadan for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so and the sun went down. Uh, not to have some kind of uh, sausage roll uh, when the sun um, went down. He um, they used to quite often go. Has the sun gone down yet? Um, they were going. It's a three o'clock kickoff meal. Um, he, they have some kind of professional sportsmen have some kind of special dispensation, don't they? Because he, he was definitely taking fluids on board and yeah. uh, some kind of um, you know energy gel or something. So. I think there there are there are rules. I think they have to get get dispensation. Well, I play cricket with the uh, with a few uh, Muslim guys, and they're not even allowed to drink. At no. <laughs> it's incredible. Uh, yeah. um, um, but I think that you know, I think he came off for that drink, sort of a you know nine. It was a late kick of nine, you know, sort of nine o'clock. Maybe it was what? just the point at which it he was could when break the sun was going to. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, I know a lot of Muslim guys who kind of like have a kind of massive meal ready for literally the moment the BBC says that the sun's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> the sun's yeah. going to go down at night. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why not? Um, I, th- I think he's. I think he's terrific, and I, I, I know there's been a lot of sort of um, degree of impatience with him, and or depending on your view, with Moyes for not not playing him more. Um, but actually, on balance, I think he's being eased into the team. The expectations of him being, you know, having to do the work and not become another kind of, you know, flair player who just kind of floats around. Another Anderson. Um, and I think he's really, really difficult for fullbacks to to deal with in that left wing position because he can go either way. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. He can do you on the outside, or he'll cut, or he'll cut, in, cut inside and put in one of those balls that has now really led to a couple of assists. There was the little dinked one against Aston Villa that uh, Bowen nodded in. Very similar position, you know, edge yeah. of the area. I'm going to, I can go outside, now I'm going to come inside and, and put in a deadly ball. So he's a real threat in in uh, in that position. Um, yes, was it him that sometimes his decision making does you know lack? Was it him that was sort of clear through? And I think he squared it for Lindgaard. When yeah. he was the one that was actually in space, he should have just squared it to himself. That's right. I kept going. He, he, he was, he was, but the ball was off. Well, I was looking at that again today. Um, the ball to Lingard was really on, and uh, Ben Rama yeah. was on. It would have been on his left foot, uh, mind you. He was putting. He would have put um, Lingard onto his right. So maybe that's weaker as well. But he seems to be pretty much two footed. But when he played that across, I don't know. I don't know how. Lingard didn't get it. Suddenly it was past him. But that 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 was the right ball. And at the moment he played it. It just didn't happen. Even though when I first looked at it, I thought he should have just run on and, and gone through. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. One, of, one of the many incidents we didn't capitalise on last No, no. Yeah, yeah, there were a lot, weren't there? And lots of people at fault for it. One went on four hours a couple of times. Uh, Antonio squared a ball, you know, that we just didn't look yeah. up and um, it was behind the man. Uh, you know, there were quite a few occasions where we just needs to be that that final clinical ball, you know. We would have won that so comfortably. Yeah, yes. although they are, I think they are good defensively. They're very, I think me, me and Tarkovsky have always been impressed with lots of last good, last-ditch tackles. Yeah. The crossing was phenomenal, but Pope is just, that's you're, you're playing to his strengths. But yeah. from both yeah. sides, right? Amazing, amazing balls coming in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Talking about Anderson, he's our player again shortly, isn't he? He will be, yeah. I think. Yeah. Isn't it a year-long loan? Um, I'm not sure we're welcoming him back with open arms. We might not have much choice. No, I think, I mean, I think we might have mentioned this last week. I mean, we did, we, you know, he did, Moyes did give him a sort of good go in the sort of latter part of last season and... Uh, um uh, yeah, well, the latter part of last season, uh, he he you know picked him a lot, or at least had him come off the bench, and he still wasn't really showing anything. Um, you know, obviously, we'd all love a lot him. of the talk was about how unsettled he was in London. Was he living with his sister, and then he wasn't, or something? Right. I mean, he was so good in that first season. Yes, he was. Yeah. But then drop off so badly, and you know, I, I do wonder. I'm sure if they get the opportunity to tell him, they will. But if not, maybe if he comes back knowing if this is, he's coming back to a very different team where he has to run his socks off and uh, maybe we'll see a bit more of that first Anderson. Mm. Yeah, it's a different, it's it, you know, it's a different mentality that he'd be he'd be returning to, I think. And that and mm. you know, if we do make European football, um having those kind of options, having you know, having you need a squad, um uh and and I think that's this last few games have kind of have kind of demonstrated that. I think you know partway halfway through the season, I think a lot of us were thinking, oh, uh, we're one or two crucial injuries away from plummeting down the league here. Yeah. You know, if Declan Rice gets injured, Antonio gets injured, you know, we're really going to struggle. And of course, the the team keeps reinventing itself, doesn't it? Keep you know actually you know those those fringe players that have been fringe players have have started to come in and. 
yeah. and play vital roles. You know, I, so I that's what Moy, Moyes pointed out that that's the beauty of having a small squad because the players, all the players, are only you know uh, a couple of an injury or two away from getting a yeah. first team opportunity. Mm-hmm. Keeps yeah. them motivated. On Anderson, I, I, yeah, I loved him in that first season. Absolutely loved him. I thought he was fantastic. But that was a season where we were flying as a as a club. We were beating teams. I think he's much more suited to a team that doesn't have to, have to work and defend very much. And I think that's when it all started to go wrong for him. And I think he uh, cycle. I, I think he's got some some problems upstairs. I think he's he, he, he's not. Um, I don't know whether his confidence, anxiety, whatever it is, but he, he he doesn't seem to. He doesn't seem. It, by the time he left, he wasn't the same player that he was the, no. as the one we bought. Right. No, I think he. Um, you know, <clears throat> since Matthew Jarvis, uh, I've never seen a player so deliberately hide on the pitch. Yeah. You know, yeah. He would. Um, it's clearly most effective when he kind of cut inside and sort of saw a lot of the ball and took control. But there were times he'd just hang out on the touchline, almost hoping he wouldn't be passed to. Yeah. You know, sort of going, I'm, I'm doing my job as a winger. I'm here. Here I am on the touchline. If you find me, you know, I'll take it on. It's like, rather than going and looking for it and making himself available. Very strange. I really couldn't understand that sort of, that falling away. And it's, you know, um, I felt very much the same with Matt Jarvis. I just don't know what he was, you know, what was happening with him while he played for us. He seemed to hide most games as well. Just mm. ran away from the ball half the time. I mean, certainly under Allardyce, he, he seemed to, it's as if Allardyce had some kind of statistic of crosses that he was telling Matt Jarvis to sort of adhere to uh, some kind of rate of crossing because he would just cross it into the opposite team's goalkeeper's hands and go, there you are, I've done my job. I have crossed the ball. You know, <laughs> Even though there's just no one there in a claret and blue shirt to pass it to. It was extraordinary, I thought. Um, yes, so we've... Um, you know, we've got these, we're slowly ticking these games off. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, we you know, that, that sort of first four games, um, obviously Leicester and Chelsea were in those two games. We beat Leicester, which is great. Uh, didn't necessarily expect to do that. We lost to Chelsea, which we sort of did. Um, but we've now got sort of two wins and uh, two defeats from that. And now we're into this four-game period where certainly the last three are on paper uh, sort of winnable games. We've got Everton at the weekend. They're sort of stuttering a bit. Quite often, you know, the games that you think might be the more difficult ones aren't, and some of the ones you think are easy end up being, you know, banana skins. But um, yeah, I'm looking I, forward to playing Everton. I don't think there's any, you know, it holds yeah. any fears, really. We'll be, we'll they, be they've been now. poor. They, they've been very poor. I, my, my close friend is an Evertonian. He, he's been going so consequently. I, I pay a bit more attention to them. Um, they, they've been playing like a collection of players, you know, completely the opposite of us. Some really good players that just aren't connecting that well together. Mm. Whereas we have a cohesiveness. Look, you know, we don't know. They might suddenly turn it on. But the last six weeks hasn't suggested that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where they were fourth and I think with a game in hand over third yeah. and with uh, and, and only a couple of points behind third and well, really should have, have games in should have gone on yeah well they, they did play very well for you know sort of two-thirds of the season but it seems to have fallen away and because they had those 
They had, like Aston Villa, for some reason, Villa and Everton have had these games in hand for pretty much the whole season. I think they might have both been uh, involved in games that got cancelled because of coronavirus sort of early on. And um, so they had those games in, in hand. You were worried about Villa for a while because they had two, possibly at 1.3 games in hand. And if they won all of those, we're going to be in probably the top four. But slowly they've been eating up those games in hand and not winning them. Obviously, Grealish missing is a big part of that. But Everton, yeah, have have very much fallen away, haven't they? I'm, I'm not worried so much about Everton. I think you're absolutely right, Russ. I think that is that is a good description of Everton. Uh, I think um, if you look at the remaining fixtures, we've got a really good run in. Uh, you couldn't pick four better games than that, I don't think. They're, they're obviously still going to be tricky. You don't go away to West Brom to a Sam Allardyce team and not get roughed no. up a little bit. Uh, but if you look at Liverpool, they've got uh, a, a relatively straightforward run-in, um, including a rearranged Man United game. Leicester have got a tough run-in compared tough to run-in. us. Yeah. And you know, Chelsea in a way as well, and, I think. And Chelsea have as well. And plus, Leicester, have, Leicester and Chelsea have both got the FA Cup final to contend with and Chelsea have got the uh, Champions League. Yeah. Right? So yeah. so I, I did a quick calculation earlier. I know me being optimistic um, that we win all four games. Leicester pick up five points. Chelsea win up, pick up five points. We finish third. Yeah, yeah. How about, how about that for optimism? Well, it's wonderful. I mean, uh, well, I... I, yeah. um, I I think you've talked up our chances against Everton a little bit. I, I their, their form has, has, has slipped a bit. Um, that's true, but um, I'm a great believer in history in in football, and they are historically a tough team for us to beat. Mm, yeah. um, I, I yeah. think if you go back through the records, you won't find many doubles over Everton in a Premier League or top flight season for West Ham. Yeah. I suspect I haven't done that, but. Um, uh, so I think, and also they've got a game. In, I don't know who their game in hand is, but if they win their game in hand, they're three points behind us. So it is a genuine six-pointer um, in, the, in the true definition of the term, a three-point gap. If we win, it will be six points clear of them. If yeah. they win it, they're level and they'll go above us. No, they won't because their goal difference, I don't think, is quite as good. But... Um, uh, they will see that, therefore, as their last chance saloon. If they want to get top four or top five, that's their cup final. And I think they yeah. will be a difficult proposition on Sunday. And yeah. I've also, I think Brighton's a massive banana skin as well. They're a good yeah. side sure. in a false yeah. position in the league. And we have never won there in the Premier League. And I'm a great believer in history. So I think we've got two quite difficult games coming up. I yeah. think we'll win. I 100%, 100% agree on both both of those games in particular. But prior to last night, I would have thought, I don't see it. Uh, we'll fall away. If we somehow can get sixth, it'll be fantastic. Da, da, da. I now feel, I haven't seen them last night, we're in the driving seat. And um, I, I expect, I expect... Um, at least seven points from those four games, absolutely at least. 
And then let's see, you know, what Le- Leicester have got to play City, Chelsea have got to play Arsenal and City, Leicester has mm. got to play Tottenham, I think. So, you know, let's see, let's see where it takes you. And anything above seven will be a bonus. And we'll put more. Uh, and Gary, I wouldn't lay too much faith on doing those prediction things because whenever I try it, oh, no. Tottenham, Tottenham get relegated. And <laughs> I'm still waiting for it to happen. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> It's not prediction league. It's just me and my spreadsheet. And I was just working it. I was just trying to work it out because I've always, up until last night, I've completely written off Champions League hopes. And I think there is, there, there are some banana skins for them. There's definitely some banana skins for us because no game is easy in this league. Uh, yeah, I know Brighton's difficult. I know Everton's difficult. But I also know we're a very good side. And yeah. as long as the attitude is right, and as long as we don't suffer any more injuries, I think Declan Rice is even back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. My I mean, that was a musical, wasn't it? Gene Kelly. Wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Gary, if you're, I mean, if we do win the, and I, it's perfectly conceivable that we, we win those four games, we will get Champions League football because, or we'll be get top four anyway. Mm. Um, because I think, um, haven't Leicester and Chelsea got to play each other? Yeah. Yes. So that means, I mean, so between them, they, they would have to get, we would have end up on uh, 70 points. Yes. So Leicester would have to get, would have get seven points, which is probably is feasible. But if they get seven points, it's like they're likely to take points off Chelsea and Chelsea would have to get nine. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think, I think win the four games, we'll probably do it. I agree. Um, yeah. I, it's a really I, exciting, you know, it's a really exciting. It's amazing. Set of <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Incredible. It's a really exciting set of interdependent games. You know, we are in a a really interesting bunch of games. You know, it's like, um, you know, some of the chasing pack behind us, you know, they they got results, Spurs uh, and Liverpool, but then we got our result, which keeps us, you know, that couple of points ahead. We're a win ahead of Spurs, I think, and two points ahead of uh, Liverpool, who, of course, you know, um, there's no reason why they shouldn't sort of win most of their remaining games. But what we've done is for yet one more week, stayed ahead of them. You know, we we always thought that, you know, it, it was never going to be the case that all three of Chelsea, Spurs and Liverpool wouldn't go past us at some point. And that's still very much a possibility. They still might, you know, but um, week by week, they don't. And, uh, you know, we're still ahead of them this week. And, and uh, it, you know, it makes for a really exciting, you know, anyone that's kind of sort of pissed off and frustrated about this, it's like, well, they're supporting your team, but there's also supporting the concept of football. And what's happening is a very exciting run-in for Champions League places. Part of that run-in being West Ham United. And, you know, some of the sort of views that you see expressed that's kind of going, you know, oh, we've I, blown it. We've blown it. <laughs> With I, every I, unsatisfying result, we have blown it. There's no point anymore. We may as well go home. It's like, well, <laughs> what have you signed up for? Yeah. You signed we are up all for the excitement of this run. Uh, it's been brilliant. And the um, I, you, you don't lose sight of the fact we've been in lockdown for the best part of a year. I've been working down this shed at the end of my garden and I haven't been seeing anyone. It's been miserable. But the one high point of the last year has been West Ham. It's yeah, been yeah. brilliant. Yeah. It's yeah. Such entertainment. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and it is, you know, um, 
a collection of players. You know, it, it, the point was made on this podcast, you know, a few weeks ago that it is like a ragtag gang of, you know, guys that that have been pulled together uh, under the sort of watchful gaze of an angry Scott. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, uh, somehow gelled because they just get on because they sort of respect each other and um, and, and seem to admire each other as footballers. And they're, they're, they're having fun. The, the, yeah. the, the smiles. I mean, they're playing with a smile on their face. Uh, I, it's wonderful to see. I, I I I think also it would be true to say, and it, it's a sort of it's a thing I was just thinking about um, this morning, um, hearing one or two sort of comments, reading one or two things. I think also there's a bit of a rehabilitation of the club's perception outside of West Ham fans going on. Yeah. I think there are a lot of neutral fans really want us to beat Chelsea, Spurs and Liverpool to Champions League yeah. place. A bit yeah. like they did with Leicester City and still do with Leicester City to an extent. And we've been an easy club to dislike over, over a period of time since the Tevez, all the misunderstanding yes. around the Tevez thing in the public perception and, 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 you know, pundits have been very dismissive. And so you're starting to get people like Carragher and whatever really properly giving us as a, as a team credit and praise and saying they want the team to do well. And I think, you know, having, having, I, you know, having grown up with, 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 with sort of Moore and Brooking and those, and the kind of image of the club as one that made it a lot of people's fate, you know, second favorite club. I think it's really good. I think it's important for a club to have, a kind of a, a, a standing in the football community that isn't, you know, crap. <laughs> and um, I think that's this season has gone a long way in a way that the Pirates season didn't, I don't think. No. Um, it's, it's gone a long way to doing that. I, I, I don't know if you feel that's the case. I don't. Yeah, no, I do. I do. You know, it's, it's um, you know, we've said a few times that the, the, the Pie affair and then sort of the feeling that... Um, you know, taxpayers were paying for us to have our stadium. <laughs> Some somehow, you know, West Ham were, you know, this wide boy organization of poor yeah. that was now ripping off the hardworking taxpayer. You know, those in 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 uh, those two consecutive sort of things with with Tevez and then the events surrounding the Olympic Stadium. You know, it really annoyed me that that was sort of creating a kind of narrative that it's somehow a dodgy club. You know, it's sort of you know, it's annoying. And and I think you're right. I think we are doing a little bit to sort of push back on that, which is great. Yes. Yeah, yeah, mainly by virtue that we're not one of the big six. And there's so that's much helped. Hit <laughs> of, yeah. of them. No, uh, that, that's right. So I mean, people would want to see someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's why those pundits are saying things like that. It's, it's exactly this um, uh, European Super League narrative that sort of made that kind of happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'd better talk about our predictions for the Everton game, having talked about the game quite sort of uh, in quite a lot of detail. Um, who wants to go first? Jim. Right. Well, um, they might not be doing badly, but they've only lost one of their last five. Um I, I, everything I said, I think holds good. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think this will be a draw, but a, an entertaining draw. Three all. Three all. Blimey, uh, Gary. Um, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go big. Um, four one West Ham. Blimey, blimey. Um, oh, it's at home, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Russell, what do you reckon? 
Well, I tell you, I'm relying on my friend's uh, expertise and, and vehemence now for everything Evertonian, even though he supported them from the adopt. He tells me how rubbish they now are. So I think we'll pull it off. I'll go 2-1. Two, 2-1, one. Two, one. yeah, that's what I wanted. OK, I might have to opt for either 3-1 or 1-0 to us. I'm going to go 3-1, I think. Mm. We've really got a sort of stifle, not so much stifle Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, but stifle their supply lines, I think, sort of, because uh, they are dangerous, those two. And if you place yeah. them together... We've got Pickford going for us. Pickford yes, has helped us out three, two or three times. In the I remember, yes. He has nothing yeah. against us, doesn't he? That final season, that final game when Allardyce was managing them, he was catastrophic. We won that 3-1, didn't we? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. Uh, 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 so, out of it, got a couple that seemed yeah. one seemed to waft over him somehow. And yeah, hmm. was that under was Moyes? Was that under Moyes, or was that Pellegrini's good season? I think that might have been Pellegrini. Yeah, I think he might have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Well, uh, you know, optimistic, except for you, Jim. But even a draw is pessimistic. Even even a draw, sorry, sorry, optimistic. I think I sort of, you know, uh, keep putting points on the board. Just keep putting points yeah, on the board and then, yeah. you know, let the other teams sort themselves out. You know, I'd be happy with a draw in that game. But, uh, you know, um, we could win it. We could win it. We could, yeah. All right. Well, this has been this week's Stop Hammer Time. Uh, my name is Phil Whelans. With me have been uh, Gary Killington. Good evening. Russell Raphael. Night all. And Jim Grant. Cheerio. Come on, you irons. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.